Dr. Tony Campolo is Professor Emeritus of Sociology at Eastern University in St. David's, Pennsylvania. He is an author of numerous books, an ordained minister, and a sought-after speaker at many Christian conferences. There's a true life experience, underscore true life experience, Dr. Campolo tells about a time he was asked to speak at a Pentecostal Bible college. He shares that before the service, eight men had him kneel so they could place their hands on his head and pray. He was glad to have prayer, but each of them prayed a long time, and the longer they prayed, the more they pushed on his head. (laughs) One of the men didn't even pray for him. He prayed for a neighbor. He said, Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stolfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. Tony recalls that he wanted to interrupt and tell him that God already knew where the guy lived and didn't need directions. (laughs) But he remained silent and just tried to keep his head upright. The prayer went on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife and three kids. Step in and do something, God. Bring that family back together. The prayer time ended. And Tony preached. Things went well. After the service, as he was headed home, he saw a hitchhiker and felt compelled to pick him up. Campolo said, we drove a few minutes in silence, and I said, Hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's yours? He said, my name is Charlie Stolfus. True story. Campolo got off the highway at the next exit and headed back. After a few minutes, Charlie said, Hey, mister, where are you taking me? He said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked, why? I said, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? He was shocked. (laughs) He had never seen me before. He plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off of me. (laughs) Then I really did him in as I drove right to his silver trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes almost bulged as he asked, how did you know that I lived here? I said, God told me. (laughs) When he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. I said with real authority, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk, and you two are going to listen. And that afternoon, I led those two people to Jesus Christ. If... (laughs) Well, that goes to Tony for just being aware. If that true story does not impact you, that God does answer specific prayer requests in unique, unexpected, and powerful ways, then nothing will. I would like to assume that being led into a personal relationship with Jesus included the couple learning that they were sinners before a holy God, asking for forgiveness and inviting him to be their Lord and Savior. In addition, I suspect Campolo also encouraged this husband and wife to forgive one another from the hurts and offenses and bitterness that had accumulated and almost destroyed their relationship. The Apostle John wrote these words in 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's revisit this verse for a moment. 
really, seriously, what does purify us from all unrighteousness really mean? Is this just something, nice idea? Is this something that just is filling the pages of scripture? What does it really mean? Well, I believe that John is saying God is able to cleanse and release us from all wrong living. That's unrighteousness, wrong living. Righteousness is right living, godly living. Unrighteousness is wrong living. It's about not forgiving. It's about harboring hatred. It's about holding grudges, seeking vengeance, consumed with bitterness, being judgmental or critical, condemning others. God is able to cleanse us from those attitudes. That's what I believe it means. And to be reminded once again, God has not only forgiven us for having had these attitudes, but he has also given us the ability to slip free from their powerful grasp of these by the presence of his Holy Spirit living within us. These attitudes need to be greased up so they can slip out of our demeanor, out of our character. Because he says there in those words, he wants to cleanse us from these. So once again, I want to assume that Dr. Campolo helped that couple to see that a lack of forgiveness was a major source of their marital difficulties. And that by surrendering their lives to Jesus would introduce a new power and ability to experience the liberating freedom that true forgiveness brings. And remember that, the liberating freedom that forgiveness brings of these very negative kinds of attitudes. And that is the topic I would like us to consider this morning, forgiveness. Author and professor Lewis B. Smeads wrote a book entitled Forgive and Forget. I personally wish he had made the title Forgive and Move On because it's not easy to forget the hurts and offenses coming from those around us, either recently or maybe some time long ago. However, in his introduction, Smeads writes these words. Somebody hurt you, maybe yesterday, maybe a lifetime ago, and you cannot forget it. You did not deserve the hurt. It went deep, deep enough to lodge itself in your memory, and it keeps on hurting you now. You are not alone. We all muddle our way through a world where even well-meaning people hurt each other. When we invest ourselves in deep personal relationships, we open our souls to the wounds of another's disloyalty or even betrayal. Deep hurts we never desire, deserved flow from a dead past into our living present. A friend betrays us, a parent abuses us, a spouse leaves us in the cold. These hurts do not heal with the coming of the sun. We've all wished at one time or the other, that we could reach back to a painful moment and cut it out of our lives. But most of us find that the pains of our past keep rolling through our memories and there's nothing we can do, do, do to stop the flow. Nothing. The great Jewish philosopher Hannah Arndt, toward the end of her epical study, a book I assume, on the human condition, shared her discovery of the only power that can stop the inexorable stream of painful memories that's the faculty of forgiveness. It's as simple as that. 
Forgiveness is God's invention for coming to terms with a world in which, despite their best intentions, people are unfair to each other and hurt each other deeply. He began by forgiving us, and he invites all to forgive each other. I've highlighted that last sentence. God began by forgiving us. We're set free. We're off the hook for the responsibility of the hurts we've inflicted on others. And he invites us to forgive each other. And you know something? Let's be honest here. That's easier said than done, isn't it? That's easier said than done or practiced because we are all masters at forgiving with our heads, but amateurs at forgiving from our hearts. There's the breakdown. Yeah, I've forgiven him. Oh, really? Could have fooled me. My mind can easily say I forgive you while at the same time in my heart my blood's still boiling. I'm hurt, angry, and bent on reading the riot act to the one who offended me. Just you wait and see. You see the disconnect there? That's why the title of this message is The Challenging Implications of True Forgiveness. Stemming from the words of Jesus found in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, and three brief topics we'll explore are number one, resources enabling forgiveness, the necessity to forgive, and results. So, the main idea I'd like us to keep in mind as I go through this message, offenses lead us to the intersection of sin and forgiveness streets, and the best choice of action is to leave those hurts at the cross and move ahead in peace. I love that picture on the screen and the picture on your bulletins. I hope you go home, cut out that picture, and put it on your refrigerator doors. Because whenever we're hurt and we feel offended, we stand at an intersection of either turning left and going down the road that says sin and disobedience and ignoring the teachings of Scripture, or we have a choice to leave those hurts at the foot of the cross and move ahead down Forgiveness Street. The choice is ours. No blaming our parents, no blaming society, no blaming the government. It's our choice. To do that. First, we're going to begin with resources that enable forgiveness. And as I read our text this morning from Luke chapter 11, I'd like you to keep in mind these three solid reasons for reciting this prayer I'm about to read. Number one, by reciting this prayer, it helps to keep us in fellowship with our Father in heaven. Number two, by reading, reciting this prayer, it helps us to keep us from developing a self-righteous attitude. And number three, to keep us seeking God's help to live godly in an ungodly world. We're very familiar with these words, but I want us to hear them afresh with those three reasons in mind. Beginning with Luke 11, chapter 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. 
Herein lies our first resource to enable the ability to extend forgiveness to those who hurt us deeply. Did you catch it? What is it? Is that what we think of the minute somebody hurts us, go right to prayer? Folks, it's a resource. One we don't want to take for granted. Prayer is conversing with God on what's on your mind and heart. And I thank so much Sherry's presentation because that fits right in. And I have to give her credit that she's teaching those kids about confession because it sure came through. But that's what prayer is. Conversing with God with, with, with what's on your heart and your mind. And then he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. When you pray, say these things. When we utter these words, let's, let's expand on this a bit. Father, you know what that reflects? A born-again relation with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When we say Father, we're part of God because God has a piece of him in us by his Holy Spirit. So just saying Father in a family relationship, dear Father, that's wonderful, but look at what it entails. We've been called, we've been chosen, we've been cleansed, and we're part of his family. Hallowed be your name. By saying that, we're saying, God, Father, may your name be holy, sacred, revered, and honored. Your kingdom come. That's a spiritual kingdom we're talking about, not a castle like the 16th century King Arthur falls out of the sky, the kingdom of God is here. No, this is an invisible spiritual kingdom. And what we're praying when we say that, we're saying, may your authority rule over my life. Don't utter these words if you're not planning on letting God rule your life because that's making a hypocrite out of you. But that's what this means. Give us each day our daily bread. That's an expression of dependence upon him. Oh, it's easy for us to go into Safeway and guess what? There's tons of food. I spend so much time in there because I'm trying to figure out which brand to buy and what size. We have a, you know, we, we, we're not like the back in this first century when they were struggling to get a loaf of bread the next day. But forgive us our sins. That's not necessarily, although we can refer to that, we're already born again, so our sins are covered. However, there's a present-day moment in power of sin that still exists. So when we're confessing our sins, maybe we said something or did something yesterday that needs to come under the blood of Jesus. For also, we forgive everyone who sins against us. Oh, I, that bears repeating. Oh, <laughs> do we really mean it and deliberately practice it when we utter it? Did you catch the other resources that came through that little diatribe there? We have the Holy Spirit. We have prayer and we have the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, to comfort us, to guide us, to teach us, to convict us if necessary, and to empower us to obey and follow through in applying the teachings of Jesus. 
That's another tremendous resource when it comes to extending forgiveness. A third resource is our willingness to surrender and die to the old nature and let our new nature direct the choices in our life. And a fourth one from the heart is living a dependence upon God to meet our deepest needs. And the reason I bring these resources to our attention is that if we are actively praying under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit, conscientiously choosing to die to self, which, by the way, that's the part of us that doesn't want to forgive. There's something still alive that is not under the influence or control of the Holy Spirit that says, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. It doesn't come from Jesus. That comes from a part of our lives that is not under the influence of God. So why do people have unforgiving spirits? It's because their old nature is overpowering the new one in that department. And then we wonder why the blessings of God seem so remote. The peace of God is just out there somewhere. So if we do die to self and we trust God to take care of our lives, chances are we're more likely to be able to forgive those painful hurts that others intentionally or unintentionally toss our way. So if any of these resources aren't being utilized, then it'll be much harder, if not outright lack of willingness to extend forgiveness at all. I came across this quote that gives us another resource. Never forget the three powerful resources you always have available to you. Love, prayer, and forgiveness. Love's the next one. I read somewhere that love keeps no record of wrongs. A wrong being an offense, maybe. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Also, I read something about love God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love others as yourself. Hmm. My second point this morning, reasons to forgive. Reasons to forgive. I hope we now have been reminded of the resources we have to utilize if we have to come to a point of extending forgiveness to somebody who did a number on us. Why should we forgive or what are the reasons? The June 5th, 2000 issue of London's Daily Express newspaper carried an article with this headline, Can You Learn to Forgive? It began with the following declaration, Bearing a grudge can hold you back and even damage your health. The writer of the article, Susan Pape, had interviewed Dr. Ken Hart, a lecturer at Leeds University, who had been running the world's, quote, first forgiveness course, unquote. A forgiveness course, a course on what forgiveness is all about. A seminar designed to help people forgive their enemies and let go of grudges. Participants range from a jilted husband to victims of burglary and bullying. All had one thing in common. They were angry, bitter, and they wanted revenge. Why are those people taking that seminar? Well, my answer would be 
by not forgiving the crimes or the hurts inflicted upon them, they seem to be engulfed and under the control of anger, rage, bitterness, and surprise upon surprise, they want to get revenge by inflicting the same kind of pain upon those who cause theirs. Gomer Pyle, remember that TV show? Surprise, surprise, surprise. What do you think being under the influence of rage is going to do to somebody's behavior and attitudes and outlook in what they do? This business of having an unforgiving spirit is hazardous to our physical health, to our mental health, and to believers, their spiritual health. When we become so consumed or overcome with festering anger, even rage, when we become so preoccupied with the offenses against us, we cannot possibly do what God has in mind for our lives. Bitterness is malignant. It will absolutely engulf and consume us if we don't do something serious about it. Well, there's one big reason for taking the forgiveness route. If not, in other words, that's a good encouragement to choose to go with forgiveness and not maintain an unforgiving spirit that would be hazardous to one's mind, body, and soul. Many of you know the name of this pastor, Norman Vincent Peale. Wrote a book, bestseller, called The Power of Positive Thinking. Um, he, he was pastor of his church in New York City for almost 60 years before he passed on here a few decades ago. Anyway, he tells a story about a man who suffered from many health problems, headaches, skin troubles, gastric disturbances, insomnia. It did not take Mr. Peel long to discover that one basic cause was the burning anger that he had felt towards his brother. The brother, the executor of the parents' estate, had misappropriated funds so badly that the man had been robbed of his inheritance. Pastor Peel said, I told him that his anger was understandable, but that if he wanted to recover his health, he would have to stop hating his brother. We talked a long time about the restorative power of forgiveness, and finally the man agreed to grit his teeth and forgive. Yeah. But he kept coming back to see me because there was no improvement in his health. All the unpleasant symptoms remained. Finally, I said to him, are you sure you have forgiven your brother? Yes, he said, I'm sure. I'm not angry with him anymore. Then another thought occurred to me, he says. Do you ever think about the results of what he did? Well, of course, he said. How can I not think about them? I'm reminded every time I look at my bank account, and I'm not able to buy basic necessities. Well, perhaps, I said to him slowly, that's the trouble. You've made an effort to forgive your brother, but every time you think of what he did, the old resentments come flooding back. You've made some progress, but you're only halfway home. You have learned to forgive. Now you must learn to forget. Forget, he echoed. How can I forget? Well, I believe Pastor Peel is only half right here, and I think you know why. <laughs> yes, forgive, but rather than to forget, I believe the road to health and release from the powerful emotion of hate is to accept the pain while giving up the demand to get revenge and pardon the offender. See, it's not enough to forget because our memories are too powerful. But we have to make a conscious decision to do what I just said there. 
to accept the pain of injustice, to accept the ridicule or the hurt, and also surrendering and giving up my desire to eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a pain for a pain. That comes out of the old nature, not the new one. It's the old covenant, not the new covenant, so to speak. And I believe this is the path to freedom from bondage to these negative feelings. I came across another practical quote that says a lot about our topic. Many times we withhold our forgiveness as a punishment to the one that hurt us, but by doing so we are only punishing ourselves. Forgiveness is not a free pass to the offender. Rather, it frees our hearts from the anger caused by hurt. An unforgiving heart is a hardened heart. And like an old dried up sponge, a hardened heart is unable to soak up God's love. Forgive me for saying this. Anyone here this morning harboring an unforgiving spirit deep inside your soul? I'm pausing to let that question soak in. If so, I'm afraid I have some serious words to share that are not mine, but our Lord Jesus. He said, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I believe it's safe to say that these verses of Scripture in Matthew 6, 14 and 15 gives us a second reason why choosing to forgive might be the better option than not forgiving. And finally, a third one, a very important one, is that we practice what our Lord modeled. When he said, from where? The cross, these words, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. How about our situations? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They are so blinded by sin, they don't know what they're doing. There's many more reasons, of course, but time does not permit our perusal of them, and that brings us to our third point this morning. Results. What are the results of extending forgiveness and going down Forgiveness Street? That's one. I got one from a person who probably has much more to forgive the hurts and offenses of others than anybody that's probably ever lived besides our Lord Jesus, and that's the Apostle Paul. When he shares what he had gone through for Jesus, it's just overwhelming, but he kept on keeping on. Why? Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, he writes. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now here's what I'm shooting for. And the peace of God, which transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, this settledness, this in the midst of turmoil, relaxed, a peace, a supernatural peace, not one the world brings. Paul can say, that peace is so important to me, I'm, I'm willing to forgive the hurts 
That's one of the results of forgiveness is experiencing a heart that's in tune with the Heavenly Father. And there's no static. There's no sinful, unrighteous living things, attitudes, interfering or, or scratching out the voice of God. That in itself, writes Paul, is reason enough to forgive and move on down Forgiveness Street. Secondly, there'll be less of a presence of these negative emotions being expressed, such as anger, guilt, frustration, and so forth. Because being purified from all unrighteousness lessens the effect and power of these emotions controlling our will. There's a freedom. There's a freedom. Thirdly, there'll be a much more improved display of Christ-likeness in one's speech and behavior. Fourthly, God will be better able to lead and guide forgivers in his will for their lives. And best to take the Apostle Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian believers. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we have him writing, verse 29. Therefore, each of you must put off, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Oh, that one is amazing. Do not give the devil a foothold. Is an unforgiving spirit giving the devil a foothold? Is the devil's playground an unforgiving spirit? He who has been stealing must steal no longer. but must work. I guess I kind of jumped a little early. I should have started with verse 29. Oh, well, those other verses are important too. But I think you've already read it up there. But let me start with verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, slander, along with every form of malice. That's forgiveness, is to get rid of these things, is to consciously choose to overlook the offense, to pardon the offense, to release from punishment the offense. And don't think this is something we do solely in our own energy. This is where we need to tap into one of our resources, the Holy Spirit, and ask for divine help because sometimes our feelings and emotions can be so strong they're more powerful than our our will is to exit from them. So be kind and compassionate Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. My prayer for us all is that we will be more willing to take heart these biblical teachings and allow God's Holy Spirit to have all of us, not just a portion of us, but all of us. And a final reminder is on the screen. Offenses lead us to the intersection of sin and forgiveness. But let's leave our burdens at the cross and move on.